0: Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. Today's episode is a little different, so let me explain. You hear many podcasters say that they cringe listening to the first episodes of their podcast, and I can certainly agree with this. I listened back to the first episode, and I now know that I can do so much better. Your first episode is so crucial. It will determine if people continue to listen or not. And I must admit that I have not progressed further than the first episode when I've listened to new podcasts. And now I prefer to listen to the latest episodes. And then if I like the podcast, I work my way back. So I have decided to redo the first episode of the podcast. I would love your feedback. Perhaps you can listen back to the first episode and then this new one and tell me what you think. I will eventually replace the first episode with this new version, so I will leave it there for the time being. So, let's get into this new version. Hello everyone, my name is Anna Thomas and this is episode one of the Apple for the Teacher podcast. I'm thrilled about presenting the first episode to you. First, let me tell you about myself and this podcast. I'm a primary school teacher and live in the beautiful country of Australia. In the last few years, I have joined the growing number of people listening to podcasts. So I decided to combine my love for podcasts, teaching and storytelling to create Apple for the Teacher. Each episode will tell two stories, a bad apple and a good apple. Bad apple stories are about people behaving badly within the school system. They could be teachers, students, parents or just general school staff. Some stories give accounts of teachers committing serious crimes while others are about crimes against teachers or school staff. Good Apple stories will highlight commendable conduct by teachers and staff, people who have upheld the high standards of the profession. In this way, Apple for the Teacher will present a fair and balanced representation of the school system. You will hear stories of murder, suicide, hijack, sexual misconduct, bravery, lawsuits, heroic acts, kidnap and ransom, and bullying, and so much more. Although I will cover some distressing cases, my podcast is not about providing detailed accounts of crimes or the people who commit them. I will not be naming people who perpetrate crime to give them any further airtime. There are many true crime podcasts that do this and they do it very well. My focus is to celebrate good people and to share stories which bring something positive from otherwise tragic circumstances. This is what makes the stories worth telling. So let's start with a preview of the stories today. Story one is The Bad Apple and is called Bride to Be. Stephanie was a dedicated teacher who went into her school on the weekend to do some preparation. Story two is The Good Apple and is called Wheels of the Bus. Rami was an excited schoolboy going on a bus trip with his classmates. So let's get into the first story, The Bad Apple. Firstly, I need to provide a warning that this story contains details about murder and sexual assault and may not be suitable for everyone. The stories in this podcast have been chosen because they hold a connection to me in my role as a teacher and as part of the education system. Many are stories where I can directly place myself into the shoes of the person being talked about. This particular story took place in Australia. And after hearing the circumstances of what occurred, it really struck home that none of us are immune to being victims of crime. It was the first time in my life where a crime was so close to home. As a teacher, I often go to school on weekends and holidays to do preparation, which I'm sure many of you as teachers can relate to. There really is no such thing as holidays for teachers, and we do get heckled for the holidays, but we've just learned to develop a good sense of humour and laugh it off. So the teacher at the centre of this story did exactly the same. It was Easter 2015 in Australia. Stephanie Scott was a high school teacher. She was 26 years of age and taught English and drama. She lived in a small town of about 11,000 people called Leeton in the state of New South Wales. Stephanie was a week away from marrying her fiancé, Aaron Leeson Woolley. They had been together for five years. After the wedding, they planned to go on honeymoon to Tahiti. Stephanie was taking two weeks leave from her job and had decided to go into her school to get some things organised for the teacher who would be replacing her. She went to her classroom on Easter Sunday. Her wedding had been planned for the following Saturday. But by late Sunday, her family had failed to hear from her. She had made plans to go out to dinner at 8pm with her fiancé on the Sunday night. Her mobile phone was called a number of times but just rang out. There was some speculation that maybe she had got cold feet and couldn't go ahead with the wedding. Many of her wedding guests had flown in to attend the wedding, and everyone who knew her totally discounted this theory. Her sister had spoken to her on the Saturday and described her as being in a very happy mood. On the Monday morning, Stephanie was reported to the police as missing her parents, Robert and Marilyn, hired a helicopter to search from the air. They thought that maybe she had been in a car accident somewhere on an isolated road. But this makes me wonder, why couldn't the police do an air search? Why was it up to the family to do that? And I never was able to find out any information as to why. I'm thinking maybe that the police required a someone to be missing for a certain length of time before they would investigate and so the family thought it was critical for her to be looked for straight away. They obviously knew what the roads in their area were like and as no one had reported being involved in an accident with her they may have surmised that she got into trouble by herself and was somewhere injured and so the family thought that time was of the essence and that's why they hired the helicopter themselves. I had the very same situation happen to a friend of mine. His wife had said goodbye to him in the morning, and he headed off to work. When she hadn't heard from him later the same day and into the night, she phoned his mobile a number of times. At first, it was ringing, but then the battery must have gone flat. The police were notified. He had gone missing on the Thursday. And he was eventually found on the Saturday. He had been in a car accident and his car was found down in a ravine and he had passed away. His dog was with him and by some miracle, the dog did not have any injuries whatsoever. It was the neighbours who called the police because they heard the dog barking over and over during all that time. He was driving in a semi-isolated location and for some reason veered off the road and the car couldn't be seen by anyone passing by. That gorgeous animal stayed by his master's side for two days. After that, I saw the dog many times and I just couldn't help thinking about what he had seen. You can imagine how extra special he was after that to the man's wife, that he had survived the crash and he was a very special little dog. While I can't imagine how Stephanie's family and fiancé must have felt when she disappeared and the anguish as each day passed, but what they didn't need was a newspaper front page headline that only can be described as being in extremely bad taste The Courier-Mail is a well-known newspaper with a very large distribution based in the capital city of Brisbane in the state of Queensland The headline on the newspaper said Bride and Seek Are you kidding There is a time and a place for puns like this but Stephanie's disappearance was certainly not the time and place It implied that she deliberately went missing and was in hiding The headline received a backlash on social media and a petition was also created online which received 20,000 signatures. Three days later, after she disappeared on the Wednesday, Stephanie's red-coloured car was located and there was blood found inside the car. The police were given information from the public about a person of interest. He was a 24-year-old cleaner who worked at Stephanie's school. He was questioned about his whereabouts on the day of Stephanie's disappearance. He said he had been grocery shopping and when the police looked into this, it was found that the store had been closed because it was Easter Sunday. The police wished to question him further and went to his residence. He wasn't home, but his mother allowed the police to search the house. They found a set of keys that Stephanie had used to access her school, a red bra, a piece of timber that had blood on it, a boot liner that was from her car and most shocking, a camera was found that had images of a burnt body. He was arrested and charged with murder. Despite attempts by the police, he refused to disclose the location of Stephanie's body. However, she was found on the Friday at a location about 70 kilometres from the town where she lived. The images on the camera were those of Stephanie. On the next day, which should have been Stephanie's wedding day, her family and friends held a special picnic in her honour at a small park in the town. Here is what her father Bob had to say to the crowd that had gathered to pay their respects to Stephanie. Quote, Stephanie was a bubbly, bright, witty, intelligent, fun-loving girl who has obviously impacted on many people here today and our wishes for the future are that that will continue in your minds. You remember her as the girl she was. The tragedies happened. We can't change that. We can't deal with it any better than we have, but we do know that we had a great girl and we are going to continue to remember her for what she was. The nation was shocked by what had happened to her. A hashtag was started on Twitter where brides-to-be were encouraged to hang their wedding dresses outside their homes in tribute to Stephanie. The hashtag was called Put Your Dresses Out. Now I have some pictures of the various dresses hung out by people and I'm going to put this on our social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for you to have a look at those photos. On the same day that Stephanie was being remembered, the perpetrator made a full confession. Here is what the police investigation was able to establish. Stephanie had been in the school staff room working on her computer. As well as doing lesson preparations, she was also doing wedding preparations and sent an email to a bus company confirming transport for guests to her wedding to be held the following weekend. The perpetrator, who I will not name, saw Stephanie at the school. He was doing cleaning duties and for me the question needs to be asked, why was he working on a Sunday? Not only that, but it was Easter Sunday and a four-day long weekend in Australia. After seeing her, he then went back to his house and collected what he called his rape kit, which contained a knife, handcuffs and Viagra. According to him, Stephanie saw him at the school and as she was just about to leave, she said to him, I'm going home now, have a happy Easter. As she was going through the school gate, he grabbed her from behind and took her into a storeroom. She was raped and stabbed to death with a knife. He placed her into the boot of her car and drove to his place, leaving the car hidden behind a shed until the next morning. He then drove to a national park 70 kilometres away, leaving her body on the ground and setting her on fire. He took photos of her and then drove away, dumping her car and walking the rest of the way home. He attempted to conceal the crime by using a high-pressure cleaner to clean up the crime scene. He said to the police that she had not been his intended victim but he had planned to rape and kill a 12-year-old girl that lived not far from him. He had seen her many times playing at Stephanie's school, after hours and on the weekends. She just happened to be away on the weekend that he decided to carry through his plan, so sadly, Stephanie then became the target instead. The man had a twin brother, and the police were able to establish that the killer gave Stephanie's engagement ring to his brother, which he pawned. He sent his brother a text message saying, I'm going to send you an envelope, keep it safe for me. His brother lived some distance away in the state of South Australia, with the killer posting the ring and another piece of jewelry to him. The police established that he searched selling jewelry in Adelaide on Google. The brother sold Stephanie's rings for $705. At the trial that ensued, Stephanie's mother, Marilyn Scott, read out a victim impact statement. I will read just a small part of her statement. Her mother said, It was her dedication to duty and her students and her determination to fulfill her professional obligation that saw her at school on Easter Sunday, end quote. It's just so heartbreaking reading her statement, and it amazes me when you hear about the family of a crime victim who stand up in front of court facing their loved one's murderer and give a statement. The amount of strength that it must have taken for Stephanie's mother to do this. Really, how, how do you do that? I guess that your love for the person is just so strong that it's the least that you can do, in honour of their memory. The perpetrator was sentenced to life in jail and his brother was convicted as an accessory to murder and received a 15-month sentence and then was released. After leaving prison, his brother spoke about his regret about helping his brother and said that he wanted nothing more to do with him. He said his actions in selling the jewellery has haunted him. But really, I'm sorry. I feel no sympathy for him. He knew exactly what he was doing, and to say sorry now is just hollow. When he came out of jail, he lived with his father, and he was saying how he couldn't get a job, and they had to move because of the backlash from the community. They couldn't go to the pub or do anything out in the community. Well, all I can say is that's just karma for you. Now, this is all I'm going to say about the killer. There are many more details that I could include. There are police videos of his confession, information about his childhood, but all this does is to provide excuses for his depraved actions. But now I want to dedicate the rest of this episode to Stephanie. Stephanie's funeral was held 11 days after her wedding day and was held at the same venue where she and Aaron were due to be married. More than 1,500 mourners gathered to pay their respects. People wore black and yellow as yellow was Stephanie's favourite colour. Yellow balloons were tied to the trees that lined the road to the funeral venue. Stephanie and Aaron were supposed to have their first dance to the song Making Memories of Us by the Australian singer Keith Urban. I will play a small snippet of the song at the end of this episode. As if this story isn't tragic enough, it gets worse. Eighteen months after the horror of Stephanie's death, the Scott family faced another heartbreakingly difficult tragedy. They also had to bid farewell to Stephanie's father, Robert Scott, who was accidentally killed by a falling tree when he was clearing trees on his property. He was also a teacher. Three weeks prior to his death, Mr. Scott had stood by his wife's side as she fronted court to deliver her victim impact statement. Mr. Scott was farewelled at the same venue as his daughter Stephanie. You just have to feel so much for Mrs. Scott, a double tragedy. How do you go about dealing with such unthinkable things? Stephanie's mother had been standing up in court giving her statement and three weeks later her husband dies as well. I mean that woman has just been through way too much. As a teacher myself I can really imagine how her school was affected by her death. They spoke about the best way to keep her memory alive. The school had received donations from the public and it was decided that the money would be spent to build an outdoor amphitheater as a permanent tribute to her highly regarded work at the school. One of the Year 12 students, with the help of his father, created the design for the amphitheatre. It features a raised seating area and stage and a memorial wall in Stephanie's honour. It also includes four yellow pillars that hold the structure together, as yellow was Stephanie's favourite colour. I just think this is so beautiful that a student from her school helped to design it. Now I'd like to share with you one of Stephanie's students and what he had to say about her. Adam Mitchell was in Stephanie's drama class. He said, she wasn't just a teacher. She was so much more than that. Her drama class was more than just another class in the school. She had an infectious spirit and she was really able to connect with her students. She was only 10 years older than us, but she was able to bridge that gap. I think fun is an understatement in terms of who she was. The first day that I had to step back into that room after the holidays, I walked back into her room and it just wasn't the same. There was a chill about it and I couldn't handle it for the first week. I was running out of the room crying. It was just too much. But over time, you could feel her spiritual presence there and her warmth and her glow was in the room still. Now, I looked for more information or an interview with the family members, but I really couldn't find anything to include in this episode, which, of course, is totally understandable if they wanted to have their privacy. Now, although the perpetrator was sentenced to life, there may be more to add to this story. In May 2018, it was reported that Stephanie's family had filed papers in court to sue the New South Wales government, but there weren't any details given because the matter was before the courts. Now, the only thing that I can think of is that they might be questioning why he was allowed to be at school on a non-rostered workday. But then again, so was Stephanie. From my own situation, every teacher and school staff member has access to school after hours. The cleaners obviously have master keys to enable them to access the entire premises, whereas I only have keys for my particular building where my classroom is. So it remains to be seen where this goes and I will be certainly looking out if there is more information about what happened with that court case. So you can probably see how this story has a connection to me and why I chose it. I could have been Stephanie just going to school on a weekend but not leaving alive. After it happened, it was a topic of discussion at my school. We all realised it could have been any of us. I just couldn't imagine this happening to a teacher that I work with and the impact that it would have had on their students and the whole school in general. Our principal recommended that we always lock our rooms if we were at school out of hours, which was interesting because some teachers couldn't believe that other teachers didn't lock their door, me being one of them. Schools are well known for attracting vandalism and break-ins, but I never was worried about safety at school. We didn't live in a high crime area. After it happened, I stopped going to school out of hours. I also looked at the cleaners at my school differently, which I know wasn't rational. I'm one of those people who is an early bird. I always function better in the morning. I generally get to school at about 7am, even though school doesn't start until 9am. It's just very quiet and you can get a lot of work done. Our cleaners work before and after school, so often the cleaner would be cleaning my room in the mornings and we would chat and you would get to know them. But after what happened to Stephanie, I got a bit anxious because there weren't very many people around so early, so I started coming to school later. But after a while, I realized that I just had to snap out of it. I realized that I couldn't go on living my life in fear and stop doing the things that I normally do. And it also wasn't fair to think about the cleaners in that way. So although Stephanie's story is just so tragic, it has made me more aware of my safety and I now make sure to lock my classroom door and on the whole, I'm just so much more alert. Just before I finish this story, I'd like to tell you how the idea came about not to name perpetrators or show their photos. When I first started this podcast, It was Stephanie's story that first came to mind as it was a high profile case in Australia. So it became the first story on the podcast. I had finished recording it and then I was preparing the photos for the episode, which would be placed on social media. I had her photo next to the killer's photo, and it occurred to me this is just wrong. I don't want him next to her. I don't want to look at his face. It should just be her photo. And so that's how I decided to not show the photos of perpetrators. Then I decided to go one step further and not use his name. So then I had to re-record some parts of the episode. So that's how the idea came about. So in this podcast, you will not hear the names of perpetrators or see their images. There will be enough details about the story for you to seek more information if you choose to. I'd now like to finish this story by reading a poem that was written by Stephanie's sister Kim. Kim had written the poem intending to read it on her wedding day, which so, so sadly she wasn't able to do. So here is the poem. It's called On This Your Special Day. My little sister, Stephanie Clare Scott, is now a wedded wife, believe it or not. Aaron Leeson Woolley, the luckiest man, is a welcomed honorary member to their prestigious Scott clan. They met in Cowanowindra, young and sweet, flirting at the IGA between the creamy pasta salad and cold meat. They shared car journeys along with Dad, Stewie, and me. There were sparks a flying, any blind Dick could see. Twilight Soccer was where it was at, Cowra played host, the competition was fat. Stephanie and Aaron made a good team, a match made in heaven, so it would seem. The car journeys home saw Dad raise his voice, critiquing and replaying the game, listening the only choice. And so Aaron listened and listened some more, realising then and there he had to be sure. Liking a teacher's daughter was no small thing, but playing soccer with her dad? You've got to be kidding. And so their relationship began. There were smiles from ear to ear. Days turned to months, and months turned to a year. Stephanie was in Wagga, and Aaron back home, the dreaded long distance, trusting the unknown. They travelled back and forth and somehow made it work. Although not always perfect, they knew what love was worth. Long summers together. Although they went too fast, it was becoming clear to all this relationship would last. Stephanie graduated and settled out west. Aaron followed suit. He knew what felt best. They made a home, comfy and content, Now settled and happy, off to work they went. Stephanie, a teacher, Aaron cutting meat. Their life in Leeton was beginning to feel complete. Away to Thailand, adventures far and wide, Aaron had a plan. He was after a bride. Time for dinner, and Aaron played it cool, making several trips to the bathroom, dropping the kids off at the pool. Or was he, that tricker, that sneaky little thing, he got down on one knee and pulled out a ring? Stephanie couldn't believe it, such a shock, a surprise, the happiest moment looking into his eyes. Of course, she said yes, as we're all here today, celebrating this couple on their beautiful wedding day. They make each other smile, they can fill a room with love, joking and laughing they fit each other like a glove we couldn't be happier it's a dream come true to watch your sister find happiness and to say I do you're beautiful people when you stand alone together you're strong you set the tone I wish you all the happiness for the many years to come may you fill each other with joy and never be glum I'm sure you'd all agree That their bond is unique, special, and happy. Their love is what we seek. Congratulations to you both. Now, friends and family, please join me in a toast to Aaron and Stephanie. So that's the end of the poem and the end of Stephanie's story. Such a sad story. I really feel for her family, for her mum and for her fiancé and actually while I was researching this story I found some information about Aaron. There was um, a link to his Facebook profile and when I looked at his profile it showed that he was in a new relationship with another lady and he looked very happy. So. I'm glad that he was able to put the whole ordeal behind him, although he will never forget what happened to Stephanie, and I'm sure he'll never forget Stephanie, but I'm really glad that he was able to go on and find some happiness. All right, so we'll have a break now before we go on to the next story. Let's now change direction and do a good apple story. Each episode will tell the bad apple story first and then the good apple. This way we can finish on a positive note. When someone says to me, do you want the bad news first or the good news? I always tend to want to hear the bad news first and then the good news. So this will be the format of the podcast. This next story revolves around a school bus trip. Now children going on school bus trips is an integral part of childhood and I can always remember how excited I was going on an excursion somewhere and even now as a teacher it's so hard to calm the kids down when we're going on a bus trip. This story took place in Italy in March last year 2019. A school bus of children aged between 11 and 13 were on their way to gym lessons. The 51 children on this particular bus no doubt would have been feeling the same sense of excitement, but little did they know what would happen to them on that day. It was noticed by the passengers that they didn't seem to be travelling on the route that they were expecting to. And then, quite abruptly, the driver stopped the bus and it was then that the awful ordeal began. The driver started yelling. Now, we're going to the airport. No one's getting out of here. You're all going to die. No one will survive. I need to avenge the deaths in the Mediterranean. There were so many people in Africa who keep dying and it's the fault of the Italian Prime Minister. While shouting, he was waving a petrol can and a lighter. He threatened the students, saying that if they moved, he would pour the petrol and set the bus alight. He first tied the two male gym teachers to the door. He then ordered one of the female teachers to bind the children's hands. She was told to keep them quiet and collect their mobile phones. Once the man was satisfied with having everyone subdued, he continued driving to the airport. One of the students on the bus was 13-year-old Rami Shehata, who was from an Egyptian background. When the phones were being collected, Rami said that he didn't have his phone with him that day. However, Rami really did have his phone. While the man was occupied driving, he was able to free his hands and he pretended to pray in his native Arabic language while actually phoning his father and alerting him that the bus was being hijacked. He had his head down looking through the glass door of the bus and was able to read the signs on the road giving an exact location of where the bus was and where it was going. The police were alerted and the bus was finally intercepted. The bus rammed into police cars before eventually stopping. The man then jumped off the bus and set it alight. But before that, he had deliberately removed all the hammers on the bus which were there to smash windows in case of emergencies. But the police were able to smash the rear windows and get the passengers off before the vehicle was totally engulfed in flames. The ordeal finally came to an end without any loss of life. Twelve children and one adult had to be taken to hospital for low-level smoke inhalation, and the man himself was treated for burns. He was arrested and faced charges for attempted murder, kidnapping, resisting arrest, and arson. The police investigation determined that he was a 47-year-old man originally from Senegal in Africa, but he had lived in Italy for a number of years and had Italian citizenship. He had worked as a bus driver for a number of years and was well known without any incidents reported about his conduct. However, it came to light after the incident that he had been convicted of sexual assault and drink driving, with many people asking how someone with a criminal record could be employed as a bus driver working with children. So, let's look at his motives. Throughout the siege, the man had made the following comments. I could no longer see children torn apart by sharks in the Mediterranean Sea. Pregnant women dead. I lost three children at sea. So many children die at sea. So we should die too by being burned. Stop the deaths at sea. I will carry out a massacre. It was established that he had been planning the kidnapping for a while and he wanted the whole world talking about his story. He had allegedly recorded a video outlining his motives, which investigators then sought to obtain. It was also reported that there were no indications that he was radicalised or had ties to Islamic terrorists. So let's look at the climate in Italy at the time. Italy is located at the front line of migrants crossing the Mediterranean Sea into Europe. Italy's government had taken a hard-line stance against migration from northern Africa, curtailing search and rescue operations, which humanitarian groups said endangered lives. While his motive was clear, I cannot condone the method which he chose to make his protest, Endangering the lives of innocent children—the same children that he was protesting about—so let's look now at what happened to Rami. He was hailed a hero throughout Italy, and rightly so. But he wasn't the only one. Another boy, Fabio, tried to talk to the hijacker to calm him down, and another boy, Nicolo, offered himself as a hostage. Another boy called Adam, who was also an immigrant from Morocco also managed to hide his mobile and call the police. In light of Rami's heroic actions, his father called for him to receive Italian citizenship. He said, quote, My son has done his duty. It would be nice if he now acquires Italian citizenship. We are Egyptians. I arrived in Italy in 2001. My son was born here in 2005 but we are still waiting for an official document. We would like to stay in this country, End quote. The Italian Vice Premier wholeheartedly agreed, quote, he put his own life at risk to save that of his companions. It is thanks to him that the worst was avoided. I believe that the government should grant this request. There is citizenship for special merits that can be conferred when an exceptional interest of the state occurs. I will personally hear the Prime Minister in this regard. It is a special case and I believe that the boy, due to his gesture, must receive the citizenship of the Italian state. Italy's Deputy Prime Minister and Interior Minister Matteo Salvini had this to say. Yes to citizenship for Rami because it's as if he was my son and he showed he understood the values of this country, End quote. Now, normally, citizenship is granted to children of immigrants when they turn 18, a law that has been in place since 1911. But given the circumstances of what happened, the government stated the process would be fast-tracked, while the perpetrator's citizenship will be reportedly revoked. The children's case has reopened a long-running debate about the fairness of Italy's citizenship laws. The previous government said that it would change the law to make it easier to grant citizenship to children born to non-Italian parents in Italy, but the law was never passed. Meanwhile, many have questioned whether the government should be able to hand out citizenship as a reward, in Rami's case, or to remove it as a punishment, as with the perpetrator. It's interesting that Salvini supported the call for Rami's citizenship, as he was the architect of the measures adopted by the Italian government to limit the influx of migrants from the Middle East and Africa through the Mediterranean, which was precisely the grievance the bus hijacker had. Now, as I was researching this story, there was much said about Rami, but very little about Adam's involvement. In fact, some sources didn't mention him at all. Adam's father had this to say. Adam is a very sensitive boy, and he was very upset that everyone, even at school, talks about his partner, but not him. He says his son should be also granted citizenship. To me, this does seem unfair for Adam and I can see how he felt that way. If I hadn't looked at multiple sources for the story, I wouldn't have even known what he had done. However, both of the boys were acknowledged by being invited as special guests at a professional soccer match where Italy played a match in a Euro 2020 qualifier. A few months after the hijacking, I read that the government agreed that the two boys would be getting citizenship. However, some months later, it was reported that the citizenship still hadn't been granted. I have continued to look for an update, but as yet, it doesn't seem that it's occurred. So what a story. When I think of myself as a 13-year-old, there is no way that I could have had so much bravery and presence of mind to do what those boys did. Can you imagine the sheer terror they must have felt? and also the other students watching them on the phone, I would have been terrified that the driver would see them and kill them. And it's interesting that there must have been another door in the middle of the bus, as Rami couldn't have been on his phone at the door up the the front near the driver. He also prayed in Arabic, knowing the driver wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying. How incredible is that? This story just makes you realise that you never know what could happen. The number of times that I have been on a school bus, it's beyond belief that something like this could happen. The way these boys reacted as an adult and a teacher, I'm sure I couldn't have done what he did. But I guess in the moment that you just never know how you would react, but hats off to them. Certainly, I think today's kids are beyond their years compared to my generation. Now I'd like to share with you my own experiences as a teacher going on school bus trips. Whenever we get on a bus, we tell the students who may have travel sickness to sit up the front. But first, I need to reserve my own seat up the front because, yes, I also suffer from travel sickness and I have since I was a child. I hoped that I would grow out of it, but it hasn't happened. If I'm in a car, I have to be in the passenger seat and focus on the road. I can't read anything, use my phone or have too much conversation. I once had a very strange experience where I was the passenger in a car, and we were driving along a very windy and hilly road. I mean, no, not windy. I meant windy road. Windy road, not windy road. Geez, put your teeth in. It was a windy and hilly road. So the car was traveling up and down hills and around sharp corners, etc. And all of a sudden, my hands started to cramp up. It was like I was crippled. I couldn't undo my fingers. My fingers were just clenched in a fist. So we stopped and I sat out of the car for a while, fearing, feeling very dizzy and feeling like I was going to be sick, but I actually wasn't. My hands eventually uncramped and went back to normal. I then drove the car and I was fine. Isn't that so weird? And it just never happened again. Then there was another time when we went on a school bus trip and one of the students who was sitting at the very back suddenly vomited. I was up the front of course and then I had to go back down to the back and clean it up as I was the only teacher on the bus. So here I am hoping that I wasn't going to get sick too. Not because of having to clean the vomit but because I was walking up and down the bus and not sitting up at the front where I should have been. I did end up being okay somehow I also get sick on planes and although I love traveling, I actually don't enjoy the experience. I've been to Europe a number of times and from Australia, it's a very long flight. There are three legs of the journey with one being about 12 hours. I need to have the sick bag ready and I have to ask for an aisle seat so that I can go to the toilet if I really need to in a hurry. It's the turbulence that is particularly bad and also the descent. I don't seem to have any trouble with the takeoff, but coming into land is the worst. Once I had to go to the toilet as we were descending and I was feeling sick and I was in the toilet and the stewardess knocked on the door telling me quite abruptly that I had to go back and sit down. Now, I know there is protocol, but she was just not really nice about it. Every time I travel, I make sure to ask for an aisle seat. But when you get there, how does it happen that you don't get an aisle seat? When they said that they would give you one? Once I was sitting in a row of three people in the middle and the guy on the aisle was quite large. Now I didn't say anything to him, but I wanted to sit in his in his seat, so I approached the stewardess and explained my situation telling her that when I was checking in they said that they had given me an aisle seat but I didn't get an aisle seat. She asked the man if he wouldn't mind moving but he refused. So here I am thinking that if I have to go to the toilet quickly I may not make it. She then went and asked someone else who was sitting in the aisle and they were happy to move. Now I totally understand that the man was quite large and by that I mean that he was quite tall and he had long legs. He really did look cramped and he needed to be on the aisle but the whole situation could have been avoided if they had allocated me an aisle seat in the first place. I don't have any fear of flying, it's just how I've always been. If I take travel sickness tablets, they make me very drowsy and I feel so much worse. I don't want to eat or drink. The smell of the food at mealtimes makes me feel sick. So after a long journey, I'm very hungry and dehydrated. And I'm not a really good traveling companion as I can't really have lengthy conversation to pass the time away as other people do. I really wish I could. I can hear people talking and it does help to pass the time away, especially if you're sitting next to someone you don't know. And it's good to speak to someone and get to know each other. But I just can't do it. As a young girl, I wanted to be an ear hostess, as we called them back then. Of course, they're called stewardesses now. But as you can see from that story, it really wouldn't have worked out for me. So instead, here I am as a teacher having to sit up the front of a school bus instead in case I get sick. How funny is that? So that's the end of this very first episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you managed to stay until the very end. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the two stories. My aim is to tell stories that have people directly connected to the education system. For example, Stephanie's story could have been told on another true crime podcast, but I chose it because she was a teacher and the crime occurred in a school by another staff member. Similarly, the bus siege was chosen because it was a school bus with the heroes being students. Now, just a few things before we finish I have created a Facebook page and also a page on Instagram and Twitter. If you have any good Apple or bad Apple stories, you can email me at applefortheteacherpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to include your stories in future episodes. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I'd now like to give you a preview of the next episode. The first bad Apple story is called Bus Stop. Daniel was a schoolboy who went to catch a bus as he had done many times before. The second good apple story is called The Intruder. Caitlin was a first grade teacher who came to work as she did every day. But this day would be unlike any other for both of them. So to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Just because you find one bad apple doesn't mean you should give up on the whole tree. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.